All right, how many of you guys ever been on a road trip before? <laughs> Two people. And it was a really awesome road trip. Where'd you guys go? I went to New York, California. Wait, by car? Yeah, by car. From where? From here? Hey, girl. You need to calm down. Who else? Who else has been on a road trip besides Camlin? Victoria, where'd you go? What? Texas? You drove from Texas to here? Well, obviously. How old were you? Oh, okay. So, like last year. <laughs> Nia, where'd you go? Tennessee. Oh, that's not bad, right? Eight hours? <laughs> you went like a circuitous route. What about you, Susan? Where'd you go? Oh, you drove to Niagara from here? Wait, was it with a Happy Silver group? No, with my mom. Oh, okay. Because they go to places like that. Happy Silver, if you guys don't know, Happy Silver is like the, the old, old group, old people's group. Justin, where'd you guys go? You drove to Pennsylvania? Wow. You drove to California? Dang. No, not him. Obviously not Justin. Justin's like, Mom, I'm in California. <laughs> Come pick me up. I don't know how to get home. All right, so we're talking, about, we're talking about doubt today. This is the last of the series called What the Church should, uh, Doesn't Talk About But Should. Now, this is the deal. How many of you guys have ever felt doubts? Doubts about your faith, right? You, you'll notice if you look around at people that are honest, it's a really, really, really common thing. So we're going to talk about doubts today. The reason why I bring up road trips is because I was on a road trip once. Uh, my wife and I were missionaries. And this family, they called me up. They said, hey, um, if you fly out to California, we'll donate you a car. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but I was too embarrassed to ask what kind of car it was because I was just a coward. I was scared. Uh, because if it was like really like a bad car, like it wouldn't be worth flying out there because I had to drive it all the way back. And I lived in Jacksonville, Florida. So from California, and this is Northern California, like San Francisco, all the way to, to Florida. So I didn't have the courage, but I knew the parent, I knew the kid of the parent. So I called the kid and I'm like, hey, what kind of car is it? And they're like, I think it's like Chrysler Sebring. And I'm looking online and they're like convertibles, like really sporty cars. I'm like, honey, the Lord has blessed us. This is amazing. So I, I, I buy the airline ticket. It's like $400. And luckily, um, it was a, there was a wedding over there that I was, uh, I was doing over there. And I had to like play music or something like that in the wedding. And then so I said, yeah, fine. They, they were going to give me an honorarium to do it. So I figured, hey, two, you know, two birds with one stone. So I fly over to California and then I meet with the couple that, that give us the car. And it is like this, like, I mean, it looks OK. It looks nice. But you can tell, like, it's not a nice car at all. Um, and I'm just like, oh, wow. And I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, but I was like, well, what can I do now? I don't have a plane ticket back. I got to drive this thing back. So I do the wedding. Everything was fantastic. They gave me an honorarium. And I don't think they even give me an honorarium, actually. I don't even remember. I don't think they gave me any money. So I flew to California for nothing. And I got this car, right? And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And I, I sit in it. And I'm just like, oh, this. And I call my wife. I'm like, this is a great car. It's really nice. You know, totally lying. And I start driving. And I drive to Reno first. And Reno is like, have you ever been to Reno? It's like, like little Las Vegas. So there's like all these lights. I'm like, this is crazy. And you're driving. I'm thinking this is going to be the road trip of a lifetime. It's going to be awesome. Right? In the, in the movies, there's always road trips. It's not that way. It's horrible. And so then I drive. I keep driving. And then I come like to the country where there's like nothing. And I, I hit Wyoming. 
and you have people live out there. It's amazing. So I'm driving, and then I, my car goes, dakka, 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 and, it, and it drives, and it dies. And I'm in this really small town, and there's this one little motel. There's one garage. It looked like, you know, in the movie Cars, that little town? That's what it looked like. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to die. I'm going to die out here, right? And so I, I wait, and there's no, like, I'm, I'm trying to find a, a, a tow truck to pick me up. Nothing. There's nothing around. And so I'm sitting there like, I don't know what to do. So I check into a hotel, right? Uh, it's a motel. Um, they had like four rooms. So I, I check into the motel. Luckily, they were all free. Um, and I check into the motel, and I'm like, well, you know, I just got to wait. And so the next morning, I talk to um, the mechanic, and he's like, oh, it's going to cost you $900 to fix for a car that was donated to me. I had to pay $900 for a free car. And so I'm sitting there like, I can't believe it. And I talked to my wife, right? And uh, we were really stressed out because we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and, but we, like, get our money together, and I, I pay for it. They fix it. And then this is an aside, but, like, years, uh, a year down the road, we found out that they gave us a bad, it was an, um, some part, whatever, but they had re- redid it and painted over it and made it look like it was new. Yeah. So I paid $900 for a fake part. Anyway, so we go through Wyoming, and we keep driving. It's me and my buddy. We keep driving and driving, and we hit Salt Lake City, Utah. And the only place I can afford is, like, a really, really, like, run-down area, like, really, you know, like, like it seemed like it was a lot of crime, you know, it looked like, you know, really shabby. And I go into the motel, and uh, there's, like, this thick, like, bulletproof glass, and the lady's talking to me. And, like, it's really amazing because everyone in that town is, like, really, really nice, even in, the, like, the really bad parts. She's like, oh, you have a good, because they're all Mormon. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, this is really nice, right? And I drive through, I get through Kansas, like the mid- Midwest, and it is horrible. It just goes straight for like miles and miles for hours and hours and days and days, just corn and wheat and all this stuff like Indiana. And you're just like driving and driving, and it's hours. And then you get to St. Louis, and you see the arch, and you, you know, by, by the time we got back, it took us like four days. By the time we got back into uh, Jacksonville, right, I was just like, I never want to ride again. And I definitely don't want this car right? But the road trip was supposed to be this amazing experience, right? And it was full of like blessing and excitement. But what it ended up being, it was, it was really a lot of toil. It was really hard. Now, there were moments where we had like a joke. Somebody said something. It was funny. I laughed. Ha, ha, ha. I said something funny. He laughed. Ha, ha. But most of the time, it was tedious and hard, and we were tired. And every place, it was new, and we weren't sure what we were doing, right? When we get back to Jackson. When we look back, we're like, wow, that was an ordeal, Right? The thing that I even thought that I had, that I thought was going to be a blessing, wasn't even a blessing. I had to pay $900 for it. You get it? How does this have to do with doubt? Your life, your spiritual life, every single one of you have signed up for something in your head. You thought when the pastor said, you need to pray this prayer, you need to follow Jesus, and you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. In your head, you signed up for something, right? What did you think was going to happen when you, when you, when you prayed those prayers? When you said those words, what did you think was going to happen? You thought angels were going to come down, flock around your head, right? You thought you were going to have this emotional experience where you were never going to doubt again. You were going to have raising people from the dead. Somebody's died. Somebody just died. Oh, no. You're like, don't worry. Rise. And they come up, right? You have these, all these kind of thoughts, probably not that drastic, but you have these ideas in your head. What is going to happen once you get saved. But what you begin to find out is everything, nothing is what it seems. Right? You go on the journey of your spiritual life. Some of you guys just started this journey. I've been on this journey for maybe 18, 19, 20 years, something like that. Right? And I found out that my life, my spiritual journey, my spiritual growth has always been messy. 
It's messy. It's hard. There are times of deep, deep joy, and there's times of deep, deep fear. Right? So we're talking about doubt. So let's go to the scripture. John, uh, Luke, this is John the Baptist. In Luke 7, right? Katie read it. But this story, John, John's disciples, this is verse 18, told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one to come? Who is to come, or should we expect someone else? So John the Baptist is in jail at this point. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. But John the Baptist is in jail, and so he gets his disciples. John the Baptist asks his own disciples, hey, go ask Jesus, are you the one, are you the Messiah, are you the guy that's supposed to save the world, or should we expect somebody else? Right? This is what's happening in this, in this scenario. When the men came to Jesus, they John, said, John the Baptist uh, sent us to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sights, uh, sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus' reply is, this is what's been happening. And then he says this weird quirky thing, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What is, what is happening in here? Do you think that John the Baptist sitting in prison, and their prison are not like our prisons. They don't sit there in, in prison and watch cable TV and lift weights. Right? Their prisons are not like our prisons. Their prisons are very, 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 very painful. Right? Miserable. He's locked in a dank, dark place. Right? not getting proper food, being abused by, by um, the guards, right? And so John the Baptist is experiencing what? Hint, it's the title of what we're talking about today. Doubt. He's, he's experiencing doubt. John the Baptist, who is the prophet that's supposed to come before Jesus, right, is experiencing doubt. John the Baptist had doubts. This is crazy. Matthew 3.11, this is, this is uh, uh, earlier on when, th- when things were happy. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. This is John the Baptist speaking to the crowds of people that had gathered in the wilderness to be baptized by John by water. Those whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He knew who the Messiah was. He knew that Jesus was coming. John the Baptist was in the wilderness, right? And he would have been out there uh, for a long time wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey and all that stuff. So he's kind of a little bit, people think he's a little bit loopy. But all of a sudden, all the people start coming out, including tax collectors, who are the most despised people in all of Israel. They start coming out in droves to where he is, and he starts to baptize them in water. And John the Baptist says that the Messiah is coming. Someone that's going to baptize you, not with water, but with spirit and fire. So John the Baptist knows. He also says, oh, and this, and this is the second moment. This is only four verses later. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The perspective is from John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up and he says, hey, I need you to baptize me. John the Baptist is like, I can't baptize you. I can't do it. You're too holy. This is not, you need to be baptizing me. I, I, he's like, you need, you need to do it because the prophecies will be fulfilled if you do it. And then this is when it happens. He went up out of the water from the perspective of John the Baptist. He's watching Jesus. That moment heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting. And then he hears a voice. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist hears this. And so now we go back to the passage we were talking about before. He's in prison, dark, dank, And he tells his disciples, hey, go ask Jesus if he's the one. This is doubt. 
That's to the core. Number two, John the Baptist didn't just experience doubt. His doubt wasn't just intellectual. He felt it deeply. Because if Jesus was not the one, then John the Baptist had no hope. Right? He was going to die in prison. His deep emotion, he had felt it. Like, you see the prophets, right? You see, like, Elijah, right? Elisha, these guys coming into different, different uh, forms of harm. But Elijah, Jay, Elijah, right? He fights the prophets of Baal, right? And then uh, he, he dunks all this water on this altar, right? And then uh, the, the prophets of Baal are trying to call down fire from heaven. They're cutting themselves, gyrating, going into trances. This is craziness, right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, all right, get him out of the way. And then he prays this simple prayer to God, and God's like, boom, boom, blows this thing up, catches on fire. And then Elijah says, kill him! And they grab all the prophets of Baal and cut their throats and kill him right there. And then a couple of scenes later, Elijah's sitting there like afraid, like he's going to get killed. God just showed Elijah this huge explosion of, of power and his might. And then he's afraid that some woman is going to kill him. Some queen is going to kill him. You see John the Baptist, same thing. He's deep, dark. He has this emotional fear. Doesn't mean just because you've experienced God, because I think a lot of you in here have experienced God in deep ways, correct? You went to some retreat and God showed up in a mighty way. Maybe you saw some healing or you saw some miracle. You prayed for something, God, God totally showed up. You've experienced God in a deep way, but you still experience doubt. So don't look at like, okay, I'm not... Um, that godly, but you know, these godly men, they, they won't experience doubt. No, they do. John the Baptist saw the heavens open up, dove come down, voice of heaven. This is who my, my son, whom I'm well pleased, who I love, right? His doubt wasn't just intellectual. A lot of you guys think intellectually. You think, oh, I doubt because I don't think that this adds up. Virgin birth, ha, 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 ha. Adam and Eve, come on, I don't believe it, right? So you have all these intellectual doubts, but your doubts don't remain just intellectual. Your doubts also remain emotional. There's a lot of fear when you guys die, right? Some of you guys think about it. There was this one guy that I worked with, uh, landscaping. We, we, we did weeds and cut and threw out pine straw and stuff like that. Fish, you know that. And this kid, like, he was totally an atheist, strong atheist. I totally don't believe in God, right? But then <laughs> we'd just be talking about stuff, and he's like, hey, Howard, I'm afraid to die. I'm like, what? He had this big beard. He's a really tall guy, really, you know, like a big guy. And he would just stop and say, hey, I'm afraid to die. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, it's just out of the blue. We'd be talking like McDonald's or Burger King or something like that, or, you know, like the fight, UFC fight. Like, yeah, he's like, I'm afraid to die. Okay. All right, good talk. There's a lot of fear. It's not just in your brain. He was very intelligent, educated, working towards his master's degree, but he was still afraid to die. Doubt is also emotional. You see that. Um... This is what happened. It says, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to, all, uh, to them. He locked John up in prison. This is John in prison. And then the next one. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias, who I don't know if this is his daughter or not, but the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest in a very enticing way and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head uh, here on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. What a sick mom. And what a sick daughter, actually, if you think about it. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. He wasn't distressed because um, he liked John the Baptist. He was distressed because he knew the people thought John the Baptist was a prophet. And Herod was the king of the Jews at this point. 
But because of his oath and his generous guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in a platter, on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. So they brought the head. John was in the prison. They sliced off his head, put it on a, a, literally a platter, bring it to the daughter. This daughter, they, uh, theologians think, was like around 14, 15 years old, dr dancing seductively, like barely dressed in front of her, all, all as party guests. And she, she, brings her, she brings John the Baptist's head, bleeding his head, right, to his, her mom. This is kind of the sick things. So John the Baptist didn't just have fear. He had actual reality. Like, this could really have happened to him. He was thinking, this is, what gonna, this is the kind of thing that might happen to him. So you know how, like, some of us are afraid of, like, spiders? Like, what's the spider going to do? Stand up and come after you? No. The spider will run and scurry into the corner, but you're like, ah! You can't be logically argued, right? But the John the Baptist, he knew that he could die, and he did. John the Baptist's fear was founded. Jesus' response, this is amazing, to John the Baptist. Jesus' response was, look around. Some of you guys, when you experience doubt, whether it's intellectual or emotional, Jesus' response to you will be quite simply, look around. Is God moving? Is God doing something? Are people changing? Listen to people's testimonies. The fact of the matter is, some of you guys doubt God, but, the fact of the, but, but in my life, I cannot def, uh, to deny God because my life has been so changed. And it wasn't because I was so convinced that I just tricked my mind and became a good person. No! That is impossible. Because I've tried my whole life to be a good person on my own, and I was never able to do it. But if you knew who I was, and I tell you this all the time, but you guys don't get it because you think I'm really nice and happy, but if you knew who I was before, you would never come near me. I was angry. I was violent. I was a drug addict, right? I, I, was, I used people. I manipulated people. I was not a good person at all, not even a little bit. My life is so drastically changed that you, don't, that you can't see that in me. It's hard for you to see that in me. When Jesus' response was, look around, look at your life, look around, look how God has saved you or, or changed you or moved in you. And it might be subtle because the road of life is long and it might not feel like you're going anywhere. But if you look at a map from, from Kansas City, Missouri, right, to where Hitech is, right, he's in Kansas City, Missouri, to where even St. Louis is, it's far. And you're driving for hours, you think I'm not getting anywhere, but you are, you're crossing the map. You think that your life has to be drastic and change and all this kind of stuff. I can point back to this one point. But it's, you're probably not. Look around and see what God is doing in your life. You will see amazing things. And then the last thing, John might... Oh, no, I have two more. John might have had wrong expectations. The problem with our expectations with the road trip, right, for me was I thought the road trip was going to be amazing. I was going to get a nice convertible Sebring. I imagined myself driving down the highway in the beautiful mountains, right? The top down, my hair, I, I had more hair, blowing, right? I'm like, yes, this is amazing. And it'd be the whole trip back to Jacksonville, Florida. But it wasn't that way. It was miserable. I paid $900 for a fake, uh, fake part, right? I got stuck in Wyoming. Nobody lives there. Okay, people do live there, but it's very small, right? It was miserable. It was a miserable experience, right? Was there good that came out of it? Yeah, of course, there was good that came out of it, right? In my heart, God showed me how wicked I was. But, you know, like, it was really, really hard. I had wrong expectations. When you get saved, if your expectations is, Lord Jesus, I just ask you to come to my heart, and then you walk away and you no longer sin, all your problems go away, you have wrong expectations. That when you come into worship and Sean starts to sing, a light like beams over you, and then you hear angels and you're worshiping with the angels across all of eternity and time and space. 
You wake up in the morning, you just levitate up. You're like, you like lay down, you're just, like, I'm ready for the quiet time, Lord. You open the Bible, the Lord said, and the Lord reads it to you. Right? In James Earl Jones' voice, like Lion King. Right? And you're like, you think that's what your, your life is going to be like? It is not. You're going to struggle with faith. You're going to struggle with sin even more. I think I sinned more after I was a Christian. I just wasn't paying attention before I was a Christian. Like, I didn't know it was a sin. Oh, when I, like, manipulate girls and mess around? Oh, that wasn't a sin? I thought, it was, I thought that wasn't a sin. I thought it was no big deal. Everybody does it. Then after I got saved, my heart became, like, sensitive. The Holy Spirit began to change my heart and see that people are valuable, that God loves her. And then I, when, I, when, I, when I manipulated her and tricked her and did whatever, you know, like, that was sin. That was wrong. God began to shape my heart, and it was messy, and I failed, and I succeeded, and I failed, and I succeeded, and I failed. That's how you feel a lot now. Some of you guys have a hard time just reading the Bible every day. You're like, if I could just get that right, maybe I don't believe. Maybe God doesn't exist because I can't even read my Bible. John might have had wrong expectations. John expected Jesus, if he was the Messiah, to come and break him out of jail. Here I am, John. He grabs him, takes the chain, you know, throws it down, picks him up. Jesus didn't do that. He left John to rot and die in jail. Now, Jesus does praise John, but John didn't hear it. John dies in jail. He gets his head cut off. Wrong expectations. Why did John ask, are you the one or should we wait for somebody else? John was probably asking, if, if you are the one, then why am I here in prison? If you're the one, why am I like fading off into obscurity when you continue to, to rise in fame? God, what about me? What about me? What about me? John had wrong expectations. The last one, Jesus encouraged John not to give up. And I love this because it's so quirky what he writes or what, what is written, Luke wrote. He says, oh, I'm up here. Okay. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, some, of you, some theologians are like, maybe that's Jesus rebuking John, saying, John, you don't have enough faith. No, I think Jesus here is very, very clear because looking at Jesus' consistency, he loves John. They grew up as relatives. Remember, John was the one that leapt in his womb when Mary walked in when he was, she was pregnant with Jesus. I think John, Jesus loves John very, very deeply. And he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Basically saying, hey, John, man, keep going. Keep going. You're going to be blessed. Don't give up. Yes, you're in prison. Yes, things don't look right. Yes, your expectations have been broken. But I am the Messiah. Don't give up. Jesus is giving John a cry and saying, Hey, man, your blessing is coming. Don't give up. Your blessing will come. That's the beautiful thing that Jesus, when he says that, he knows that what's going to happen to John but he doesn't relent. He knows that his purpose is something else. Not to save John out of that. that was John's, that's John's story. That's the story that God wrote for John. But he told John, don't give up. Don't give up. Now, this is what I know. Doubt is common for believers to experience. All believers experience doubt. So if you receive doubt... Do not be afraid. I think some people, this is uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for, Case for Faith. It's a book uh, on apologetics, like the defense for the gospel. For many Christians, merely having doubts of any kind can be scary. Maybe they're taught in church, you can't have doubts. If you doubt, you're not a Christian. They wonder whether their questions disqualify them from being a follower of Christ. They feel insecure because they're not sure whether it's permissible to express uncertainty about God. Like they can't even say it. I don't know. I don't know if God's real. 
Jesus or the Bible. So they keep their questions to themselves, and inside, unanswered, they grow and fester until they eventually succeed in choking out their faith. Doubt is common for all believers, but most people are afraid to ever say it. How many of you guys in, uh, have ever asked somebody, a spiritual leader in your life, you have a doubt and you express that doubt and they say, just believe. Just believe. Have you ever heard of that? Heard that? I've had that before. I had questions about something. I wanted to know the answer. I wanted to think about it or wrestle with it, but the leader was not willing to wrestle with it. He was afraid of doubt, and so he says, just believe. Basically, what he was saying is shut off your brain. Logic is not necessary. Intellect is not necessary. Just believe. And he thought that was, that was spiritual. My encouragement to you is wrestle. God is not sitting up in heaven like, oh no, Ashley Toops, she's wrestling with her faith. Oh no. He's not worried or stressed out. He knows all of the questions that you're going to have. It's not a wrong thing to wrestle with your faith. It, in fact, makes your faith stronger and robust when you come out the other end. Second thing, it's not sin to doubt. So when you do have your moments of doubt, it's not sin. So don't think, oh no, I'm so, I have so little faith, I'm, I'm doubting, blah, 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 blah. It's not sin to doubt. And not dealing with doubt can hurt you. So how can it hurt you? How can you, how can you be hurt by not dealing with doubt? By pretending it doesn't exist. Because when you go to college and you meet a professor that is absolutely, 100% sure that you're an idiot because you believe in Jesus. And you watch these cute little movies like God's Not Dead and you think their arguments are solid and then you bring that up and he wipes the floor with you. And you're like, I don't know anymore. Howard is a liar. <laughs> And then you think about all the experiences when Sean's saying, you know, you make me brave. You're like, I was brave at that moment, but I don't know now, right? You start to freak out. When you don't deal with your doubt, right, it will take you to this precipice, this moment, this cliff, and somebody will push you off of it. You have to be able to deal with your, your, your doubts. Now, will you come up with all the answers? No, no, you won't. That's why people still argue about everything right, about evolution. Some people say, like, Howard, if they find aliens, are you still going to believe in Jesus? I'm like, yeah, tell them about Jesus. I'm the aliens about Jesus. <laughs> Unless they're giant spiders, then I'm going to leave them alone. <laughs> Someone else is going to have to witness to that guy, right? All right, so let's, let's, let's do a, ta- a quick takeaway. Um, dealing with doubts, how do you deal with doubts? And I'm going to do this really fa- uh, fast. Number one, tell others about your struggle, so don't hide it. Okay? Talk to people about it. You can talk to me about it. You can talk to your friends, right? But if your friends are weak, like in their faith, they're like, they're, they're, they're like really doubting too. Don't like compound them. Have you ever thought about this? I'm doubting this too. <laughs> like, oh no, they're sinking, right? Talk to somebody that's maybe more established in their faith. That's probably better. All right? Uh, mentors, pastors, parents. Uh, number two, lean on others. Hang out with people on fire. I always do this because I am such a, my, I'm an extrovert, so I need people. I, get, I, I feed off of people's energy. So when people love Jesus, I happen to love Jesus more too. It's amazing. So hang out with people that are on fire. If your friends, you're not growing, you don't have doubts, and you look at your friends and they're like Eeyore. Do you know what Eeyore is? Like Winnie the Pooh, the guy's like depressed about everything. He keeps his head down, right? If your friends are all like that, you should probably get new friends. Or invite them to like a little happy friends, you know? Like friends that are, are stronger in their faith. Hang out with friends that are on fire. And I keep telling everyone that. And, and I think it's starting to catch on for some people at UGA. All right, lean on others. Number three, look for ways to act on faith. Doubt can keep you from trying things. A lot of people are like, I doubt, so I'm not doing anything until God proves himself. Right? I'm not going to do anything until I know that God's real. 
You're going to be waiting for a long time. Right? We were talking about this in staff meeting. In worship, I don't raise my hands because I'm moved. Right? Because some people, you know, you, you, <laughs> this is what you think your faith is like. You're like, the song is like kicking and the worship leader, she's like really like singing her heart out. And you're just like, I can't help it. My hand's moving up. <laughs> ah! <laughs> you know, that's not how like worship is. I lift my hands because I want to yield. I want to respond to God. God, I'm here, man. <laughs> Could use a little help. <laughs> I need strength today. Whatever you're dropping, I'm going to catch it. <laughs> you know, you know? You're like, I got it. (sighs) Right? I lift my hands because I'm responding. Because I'm not waiting to to God make me feel something. I move before I feel it. Because I know my propensity. I know that I'm just like, God, you got to show up or I'm not doing nothing. No, no, no. That's not faithfulness. And my character, I want to be faithful. I want to follow Jesus. That means I try to have a quiet time even when I don't feel like it. I try to pray even when I don't feel like it. Even when I'm in sin, I try to repent. If I offend somebody and I don't feel like I've been wrong, I try to go and apologize and work things out. I don't wait till I feel like it. So don't. Don't let doubts keep you from trying things, okay? Uh, number four, doubt your doubts. Um, Doubting your doubts. Most people doubt their, their faith. Doubt your doubts. Like, oh, I don't think evolution is right. Right? And you doubt that. Uh, basically, you can doubt, but don't stay there. Okay? So doubt your doubts. Don't stay there. Number five, worship. Connect with God emotionally. And this is hard for me because I'm a very intellectual person. I read a lot of books. I, I read, like, theological arguments and, like, William Lane Craig and, like, different books by James Sire and all these guys that are, like, like really, like, deep apologi- uh, apologists that debate with, theological or uh, philosophical atheists, right? I read those kind of guys and I'm just thinking, oh, that's, it's really cerebral. But I also try to connect with God in my, in my doubts with, with emotion. So there's this group called Shane and Shane. Uh, I love them and I hate them because every time I, I hear them play and sing, they play, it's two guys, one guitar, and it makes me like want to quit my playing guitar and leading worship because they're so good. Like every time they lead worship, I start to cry and start to get really emotional. Like it, it just... Anytime I'm discouraged, I listen to Shane and Shane, right? I try to connect emotionally to work out my doubts, emotionally as well as intellectually. And I know maybe you've never tried that before, but, but it's something to think about. Music is one of those things powerful. For me, like a lot of times uh, you guys are like, oh, you hunt, you kill deer, you bad person, right? No, I mean, I eat the deer. We don't just shoot them like, ha, 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 you know, it's like, Let's eat it, <laughs> right? This is bulgogi is awesome, dear bulgogi. But I love to go out there and hunt because 90% of the time, 99% of the time, I don't see animals. Okay, I do. I see like squirrels, but I don't want to eat them, right? I don't see deer like 99% of the time. And we spent hours, me and my son spent hours in the woods from like five in the morning. The sun starts to come up and it's beautiful. And the birds start to chirp. And I'm like, bless the Lord. I'm like, I can't help. I'm with a gun. Lord, oh my Because it's so amazing and so beautiful. I love sitting out there. 99% of the time because nature moves me. Number six, don't expect to be certain always or about every aspect of Christianity. There is no faith in certainty. I don't need faith to believe that this is a microphone. I don't need faith to believe that this is a music stand or this is a piece of paper or this is a clicker or that's a projector screen. I don't need faith. That's certainty, right? You don't need faith when you're certain. So don't expect, right, to be certain in your faith at all times. 
Because it takes faith. Like I said, you're not going to find all the answers all the time. Right? Number seven, go back to what you know to be true. Just like I was talking about my testimony a second ago, what I used to be like, what my trajectory was like. Anytime I doubt or struggle, dark night of the soul, where I'm not sure about my faith and who God is and all this and you know, other stuff, I look back to when I know that God showed up in my life and he did something in my life. It's so, that's the blessing of being able to look back and review your life. In my staff meeting uh, last week, we were talking about um, uh, reflecting, reflecting on your life each day. You know, like how on mission trips and some retreats we do, what was your high point? What was your low point? Who do you need to apologize to? Who do you need to appreciate? Those reflections. You do that with God every night. You're like, God, I'm, I'm looking at my life. I just finished reading Psalms. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm praying, but I'm just reflecting. What was, what was great about my day today? What was really bad about my day today and that I could change tomorrow? Who do I need to appreciate? Who do I need to apologize to? Right? And when you do that, you start to look at your life in a totally different framework. You start to look at your life in terms of what God has done in your life. And you remember, and then all of a sudden, God's faithfulness is never far from you and your doubts start to flee. Go back to what you know is true. Now, here's two warnings. Doubting is not the same as weighing the worth of following Christ. Some people say they doubt their faith in Christ, but really it's ultimately that they're not choosing to follow Jesus. They're not, they're not willing to follow Jesus in all that it, he's called to, uh, he calls you to. I think all of you in here know what it means, the cost, that it co- uh, the cost that it takes to follow Christ. Christ is not interested in just you um, giving your Sundays at 11 o'clock. God wants your entire life, and you know that. You know that that's the cost. If you're going to follow Jesus and be a Christian, it's going to take your whole life, right? But a lot of people say they have doubts with God. It's because they think, they think that it's, you know, they think that their doubts um, or how they're doubting is, is, is uh, because of intellectual doubts, but it's because they don't want to follow Jesus. There's this uh, quote. Oh, I didn't. I once heard a story about a Christian apologist who spoke at a university about the evidence for Christianity. Afterward, a student approached him and said, I honestly didn't expect this to happen, but you satisfactorily answered all my objections to Christianity. So some guy, some philosopher apologist, right, who told about Jesus, he goes to this university, tells them why his argument for Jesus or, or Christianity uh, um, exists. And he says, wow, you answered all my questions. The apologist was a bit startled by such a frank admission, but he quickly recovered himself and said, well, that's great. Why not give your life to Christ right now then? But the student said, no, I'm not willing to do that. I would have to change the way I'm living, and I'm just not ready to do that right now. Some of you guys have doubts, right? Or you think it's doubts, but it's really because you just don't want to follow Jesus. So don't use doubts as an excuse. Right? That's a warning. Don't use doubts as an excuse to follow Jesus because doubting is not the right excuse. If you're not willing, like the rich young ruler, right? Remember when Jesus says to the rich young ruler, rich young ruler is like, what must I do to be saved? He says, sell all you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And he's like very sad and he walks away. Jesus loved him. Remember that guy? Don't make excuses for your doubts or making uh, um, your, your unwillingness to follow Jesus and call it doubts because it's not. It's something totally different. Um, doubting is not the same as weighing the worth of following Christ. Doubts are sometimes cover-ups for the real reason for rejection of Christ. So when you come to the point in your life where you have doubts, maybe you're not, you're, you're not sure, just make sure that it's not because you're trying to cover up the fact that you don't want to follow Jesus fully. Yeah? So what have we learned? Doubts. Everyone has them. Don't stay there. Like, be proactive. 
right? Including responding, even when you don't feel like it, right? Hanging out with good people and people that are on fire for Jesus. Worship, respond emotionally, right? Doubt your doubts. Tell others about your struggle. Like last week we were talking about uh, um, uh, people becoming more intimate, right? In their relationships and they're talking. Remember we are talking about loneliness. This is the challenge. When you start to connect, people, uh, connect with people on a deeper level, you, are gonna, you need to share these things with them. And so they can pray for you and encourage you. So you're not doing your faith on your own or living your life on your own or just talking about shoes and video games your whole life. Yeah? Doubts. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the fact that you are not intimidated by what we feel, what we go through. You don't think in terms of how our lives are supposed to be perfect from beginning to end like some road trip that we see on TV. But instead, you know that our life is messy and messed up, and yet you still travel through it with us. You know that our responses will take us left and right and wrong corners and wrong turns. And yet you still come. You still follow us, continually guiding us back to where we need to be. And so, Lord, I just pray with, this, with, with doubts, God, that we would not be satisfied remaining in that place, folding our arms and refusing to do anything until you show yourself, God. Help us not to live like that. Help us to be proactive about pursuing you, to finding the truth, to loving you when we know that it's true, to look back at your faithfulness in our life, to be reminded of your goodness, and to let that blossom and to be an encouragement to others that are doubting. I just thank you for your faithfulness, and I just pray that of all things they would remember this, that you are with them regardless of how they're feeling, what they're struggling with, that you are with them so that we are never alone. And just pray for better relationships, deeper relationships, deeper connections in our group here. I just thank you for all the courage that has been shown, all the people that are stepping out in their faith. I just pray that you would multiply that. I just thank you for everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys.